Hello, everybody. Welcome to ClapperCast, episode 76. I'm your host, as always, Carson Tamar, joined by Alina Falls and Paul Price. But who cares about them? We have a guest this week, Maddie. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. How is everyone doing today? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And first off, let's talk about a film we've been waiting to talk about since January. Me and Paul both saw it in January. Alina, you just saw it. We have Mass. This debuted at Sundance, got a pretty big reception. A lot of people are thinking it has some award season potential. Paul, I know you were really passionate about this one. So I'll let you start us off. How did you think of Mass? So, yeah. Basically, the story of Mass is two sets of parents, uh, one the parents of a school shooter, the other one a victim, meet up years later to uh, try and heal and work through some things together. And um, it stars Anne Dowd, Martha Plimpton, Reed Burney, and uh, Jason Isaacs. And it is just so good. It's honestly one of my favorite films of the year. Um, in performances, in dialogue, in the smallness of it. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of like uh, reviewers like critiquing that it's um, like not big enough and the emotions aren't big enough. And I feel like because it's not like that, it really just feels realistic. Like you just see hurt and pain in small emotions, it, which is how people react, especially in, you know, they're meeting at a church that none of them have really been to before. And uh, they're in a back room that they don't really know. So it's like, it's very interesting and you would be uncomfortable. And I just, I love it. Um, I'm excited for Ann Dowd to win her Oscar. Um, I'm pretty sure she does. Uh, again, um, you know, one of those that's like, she deserves it. It's her time kind of Oscar, um, but also it's an amazing role. Uh, so what do you guys think? I thought it was amazing. Um, I don't know how I went like from January till like this week, not knowing what it was about, but like I managed and like, I think not knowing what the parents are talking about specifically going into the film is the way to go because like the hints that like slowly get dropped and then like it gets revealed that like one of the sons was a school shooter and then the other one is like one of them that got killed I would like gasp because like I was not expecting it to be like that heavy um I thought like the entire premise worked so well it kind of felt like I was like a sergeant detective watching like an interrogation through like one of those like mirrors you can't see through or like a fly on the wall or something like it felt like I wasn't supposed to be there um and like I understand people saying that like this movie is like too small but I think the emotions like work really well like I've seen a lot of people saying like oh this is definitely like what worked better as like a play or like in like the theater format like I don't think so because I liked that you could like be really up close into like the actors faces for like just how emotional this movie was like I fucking cried by the end of it like I was fully sucked into everything um like it's incredible um also I have the cast list pulled up on like letterbox and at the very bottom letterbox says and hello to Jason Isaacs I don't know what that means so I feel like letterbox and Jason Isaacs must have interacted recently but that is on the letterbox page now which is cute 
love that. <laughs> um, I mean, this movie's torturous, isn't it? But like in the best of ways. Um, I walked in Sundance, not accredited, so I knew what it was about. Cause like, yeah, I if it's if, for me to spend money on something, it's gonna have to be like something interesting. And it really just kind of blew me away. I mean, all four performances, I know Doubt is getting a ton of attention, but like all four of our main performances are just stunning and it's just unrelenting. It is a purging of grief, of helplessness for 110 minutes and you don't really take like a break from it. Like, yes, there are some moments where like they take a break, but you're just stuck in this room with them, stuck with nowhere to run. And I think like it would have worked fine as a play, but I think it works fine as a film also. Um, and there's this really beautiful cinematic quality to it. That's just like beautiful. I didn't, I've not seen this since January to be very clear. I've not rewatched this. So I'm kind of going off memory, but the image of the window with all the colored paper on it, like that still is stuck in my head. And it just, I mean, this film is haunting. It's a scar, like in the best of ways, when you look at cinema of 2021, I've not seen this film for 10 months, but it still is a scar on like the year of film. It still stands out. It still is powerful. I do think it's a little, little long here. It's 110 minutes. I think there's probably an amazing 95 minute feature here if you clean it up just a little bit. But like overall, it is just stunning and you know i think it's really interesting taking a concept and conversation like gun control which is so politically charged and yes to a point the movie is politically charged but that's not like the point of it the point isn't you know what is different about these two families what divides this conversation but it's about the human grief that we all feel and the helplessness in the face of something so tragic and so evil. And I just found this to be really, really well handled. Um, Fran Kranz, this is his directorial debut and like, fuck, if this is his debut, very similar to how I felt about Florian Zeller last year. Like, if this is your debut, God, I cannot imagine what you're gonna do next because it's just incredible. Yeah, it's it's so good. And it's so funny uh, that uh, Fran Kranz is the smoker guy from Cabin in the Woods, uh, which is like one of the reasons I watched it, actually. Like I saw I saw the title. Um, I did not have a press pass for uh, Sundance this year, so I had to pay and I was choosing through the movies. I made so many bad decisions, but this was the only good one. Um, I'm sorry, actually, R no, hashtag J? I, was, I literally was about to say, other than our hashtag J, which still is one of my favorite bad movies of all time. And if it ever comes out, I'm shocked it didn't get bought by Netflix. Um, will be like everyone's favorite, like hate on movie. Um, I would watch I that movie. I can't wait to watch guys. it. Like, I'm going to love it. I know it. It's so <laughs> You've hyped this like... up. It's one of my most anticipated. Like, it need, <laughs> I need to see our hashtag J. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's really sad for Frances McDormand because she's like, I'm going to win an Oscar for my uh, fucking uh, Shakespeare movie. And then our hashtag J is going to come along and just demolish at the Oscars this year. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, no, so like, I just, there's so many things about math that I particularly like, but it is a lot to do with how uh, Kranz like really sets up the story. Um, and then, you know, not to get into spoilers, but the film seems to have ended and then it doesn't. And then just emotionally gut punches you. And it is so fascinating um, because it is such restraint 
to not have that happen in the room. Um, and so good in terms of storytelling and filmmaking um, to like allow a moment of breath and, you know, so many reveals in this that are seem significant both to you and to the characters, but ultimately are such small moments end up being like, you know, as breathtaking as they should be. Um, and it's really, it's just really good. Um, I'm very excited for it to uh, catch on over the next couple months. And I'll be interested to see how it uh, hits with Oscar voters. Uh, I think very well, but I'm less hope. Well, I'm, I'm as hopeful. I'm less, I have less faith in the film. I'll say. See, see, uh, my reason is, uh, Nomadland won on a year where everyone was watching it on their TVs. So I feel like that's not a thing anymore where it's like, Oh, the movie's slow. So they're going to turn it off. I don't think people turn off movies anymore. I don't think so either. I just think getting Oscar voters to actually sit down and watch this film is going to be a little bit more challenging than, I mean, Bleecker Street, especially this release strategy, like it comes out in in New York and LA, at least. I don't know when it's actually expanding, but like, I don't think it's getting the mainstream attention it needs to kind of break through. Like everyone yeah. was talking about Nomadland. Not a ton of people in the mainstream are talking about mass. I really feel like this probably should have just like, went to more film festivals it should have done tiff should have done like you know whatever new york film festival let's say created more of a re like rehype it up after sundance because it was really hot after sundance i agree and then yeah or what it really Although, should have done really looking back at it is debut at sundance come out february when like oscars that april because that was eligible but yeah. um i just feel like it's uh, coming out awfully cold and when you have a film this slow this tragic i don't know if it's if you come out this cold if that's gonna work but we will see i think the supporting actress I, race with yeah. a doubt is at least good though i think i think that's part of why it'll do well is um the actress branch is the biggest branch and they're going to watch it for the performances mm-hmm. um and if they watch it for the performances they'll vote for it for other things it's just you know um and I'm, so, I'm not sure if she'd win supporting actress though honestly just because uh, of Belfast still I mean we'll we'll see about Belfast yeah. uh, Belfast is also one of those that I kind of uh feel like I heard about for a hot second and now don't I'm not but it's not coming about- out next weekend that's the key <laughs> um <laughs> I also think there's a certain Italian woman on the scene who people are overlooking for some reason but that's okay <laughs> and I'm not talking about Chris Pratt, so. <laughs> what Italian woman? Lady Gaga. Are you kidding? <laughs> She's Hello? best actress. I feel like she might go, so she will be put in supporting. We'll see. She's best actress. No one has seen the film, so. <laughs> I don't know I why like you're she like, knows. objectively. She's, She's, I feel like she lead, though. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Isn't the lead Adam Driver and she's supporting? Yes. I don't know. Haven't seen it. No, no, no. I mean, like, I know the story. So, no, she's the lead. She's the main character. Um, if anything, uh, Selma hasn't Selma stopped would... them before. Yeah, but we'll this see is what like... happens. She's in the center of the poster. <laughs> I watched uh, the trailer again last night because it played before No Time to Die. And I was like, it's so good. It's going to be so good. How are people like turning on this film? Because there's so many people who are like, it looks so shit. 
great trailer. Yeah. Every scene, amazing. Every I time can quote the entire the theater, trailer. Same. And like every, every time, time father said house of gucci yep. i do it with her <laughs> me too <laughs> i am like genuinely not to sound obsessive or weird this is a movie i'm most anticipating i cannot think of the last time i was this excited for a film i'm just so excited i've watched this trailer so many times that the last time i watched a trailer this much i think was with uncut gems so this is it's like the same hype level for me and i don't even like ridley scott so we'll see. see and i like what ridley scott so mm-hmm I am I'm anyway. I'm very <laughs> mixed on Ridley Scott. He's appears in my top 100 of all time list, but also like I don't like ever go, "Oh, I'm excited about the Ridley Scott." Actually, I think he appears in my top 100 list twice. Um mm. for well, The Martian and for uh Black Hawk Down. Nolan um, also appears in my top 100 multiple times, but like I hate him, so that's not a good representation. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a very weird thing when you're like, uh, "Yes, but" <laughs> <laughs> caveat um cool yeah no i'm uh i think people are gonna really like mass as a rule um i did find it interesting i did not enjoy it as a uh movie in theaters um i specifically enjoyed it as a um alone experience i like couldn't get the emotional hit that i was uh ready for once again um do you think this movie is going to piss off the Republican voters. I was just time. about to ask, how do you think this plays politically? Yeah. Uh, I think it plays really fine because um, there is a whole point of we're not talking politics. This isn't a this. We're not doing this, um, which is very uh, like, you know, a very uh, conservative kind of talking point is just to be like, let's not do that. This is not for the moment. I mean, I feel like that's a really good way that they subs, you know, move around that conversation because I assume that Dowd and um Birney's characters are um Republicans yeah but don't don't the hardcore ones believe that they're all trauma actors and that's not real so isn't that gonna piss them off um I mean yeah but like I don't think they're also in could you imagine the fucking twist in this if at the end they were like okay that's done (laughs) we're actors (laughs) this was all fake that would have uh, been that's really funny. Fucking crazy. <laughs> okay. Great. The one thing I didn't like about Mass is I hated the church lady. I thought she was so fucking annoying. Just the way she talked pissed uh, me off. Head? I hated the yeah. assistant. Oh, yeah. The, uh, both the church people are like, fuck off. Um, <laughs> and I also don't the, like Christians in general. No offense, Christianity, but like, I was not here for that. Um, it, that's really funny that you. Um... <laughs> said the redhead but i like her from a show called unreal um Mm -hmm. a couple years back which is such a good first season is that the Um, animated one no unreal is the one where um they uh it's basically like a ripoff of the bachelorette um (laughs) and the bachelor actually i think and um it's like a behind the scenes of how toxic it is and it's a great show. You should 100% watch it. But she's one of the lead characters in the first season. And her character arc is so fun. Um, oh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, Save that, it for your recommendation this week. Because uh, you need yeah. one for this episode. Oh, yeah. 
Well, we have been waiting for Mass since January, and I'm happy we finally got to talk about that. But No Time to Die is a film we've been waiting for for much, much longer, delayed over a year due to COVID, which I was pretty pissed about because I was going to go to a fancy No Time to Die party, and then, of course, the fucking global pandemic had to get in my way. But No Time to Die, finally out, the 25th James Bond film, if you ignore a few others that everyone else does for some reason, the final Daniel Craig film as this iconic character. Alina, I'm going to start with you. Did No Time to Die live up to your expectations or did it leave you wanting death in the theater like I did when I watched Titan? <laughs> I fucking loved No Time to Die. Like, perfect. No notes. I had such a good time watching it. Like, this movie is long as shit. Like, it is like two hours and 40 minutes. I didn't feel the length at all. I was like enthralled for the entire thing. And like, I'm not a Bond girl. Haha. <laughs> Um, I've only seen the Daniel Craig ones and I've only seen them like once. And then I've probably seen like Casino Royale like twice. So like, it's, it's not like this huge thing for me, but I was really looking forward to it because, you know, I like Daniel Craig, I like Anna de Armas, um, stoked and it fully lived up to the hype. I thought, I think this is like Daniel Craig's best performance as James Bond. Um, I thought like, the usage of Anna de Armas in this was so good. Um, and that I, to the point where I wish she was like in it longer, like all of the characters, um, Ray Fiennes, Leah Sedu, uh, whatever, all of them so good. Like I can't even talk because I'm like, this movie was perfect. The ending, perfect. Like it's not a perfect movie, but to me it's perfect. I am so happy with this ending. So it's amazing. My dad hated it though. He was furious in the car after if but he has no taste so that's why he's not on this podcast and I am <laughs> yeah I mean I I agree to a point I do have some notes I think Rami Malik continues to be the enemy of humanity this man does not have <laughs> enough charisma to work at a Burger King much less act in a film genuinely every performance he has had since Mr. Robot has been terrible and continually people clearly know he's a bad actor so they try to put him under a shit ton of makeup and it still does not work like every film notice he has a shit ton of makeup because they're like wait a minute you can't act and i don't know how wait, he I, go ahead you, you know what makes me so sad about rami malik is i loved oh. no i loved him in night at the museum so like Every True. time he like pops up in a movie, I just like want to have that like same love I had for Prince, um, whatever the fuck that like it just doesn't happen. Like I wish he could live up to the love I had for him in the Night at the Museum, and I don't think he'll ever come back to that. Look, we'll get there on the Uncut Gems podcast yeah. <laughs> later this year. Thank God. I don't even know if he's like that great in Night at the Museum, to be honest. I'm he's just saying he's the worst part. not that he's a good actor. I think he's like such a beloved character to me Fair. because I love Night at the Museum so much. Like I have no judgment of acting in Night at the Museum because it came out in 2006 and I was nine. Well, hold on. The <laughs> acting is pretty good. Not like, again, we will get into it. The acting is pretty yeah. good other than- I Ray haven't rewatched them in like years, so I have no idea. But... No, and I forgot Rami Malek was in it because like I watched that as a kid, right? And then like yeah. took a solid break. And then Remy Malik got reintroduced in Mr. Robot and like Bohemian Rhapsody and all this shit. That's just utter garbage. Um, and so I like totally forgot. And then when I was like rewatching Night at the Museum for some reason, I was like, wait a minute, this man is in this? Excuse me? Mm -hmm. 
especially the first one because it's like a reveal at the end and it truly is like a twist reveal that Rami Malek is in it um mm-hmm. but getting back to No Time to Die he's terrible everyone else is great I think this has one of the best like performances of Bond ever Daniel Craig there's been a lot of complaints throughout his Bond career that he's not really been inspired recently um, which I think is probably true but here he is so inspired and he is so passionate the relationship he has um with let me grab the name boy that I'm not going to pronounce that yeah the relationship he has with Madeline especially at the beginning is undeniable like every time they're on screen and they just look at each other their eyes carry this weight and passion that just feel undeniable there's this grandness to the like cinematography and to the scale of the film there's some of the most emotional moments in any Bond film within this I don't care about the whole like world's ending plot that really I couldn't care less also another plot just completely fucked over by COVID because it's quite like jarring that they're like oh we're gonna start a virus and it's gonna spread across the world it's like okay that's kind of a lot right now um (laughs) but like everything having to do with Bond and his more personal journey within this is stellar I think it could have been cut down a little bit again I think you could have just cut Rami Malek um but I really appreciate this film. It's like, it's really good. Uh, it's really funny that you mentioned Madeline because that's actually my least favorite part of this movie. Um, really? And yeah, and it's uh, not because of anything other than, uh, it's the same thing actually with my issues with Vesper. Uh, <laughs> they don't give Bond enough time to hang out with these women that apparently like bother him for a while, especially knowing the Bond character, you know, Carson, you've watched all of them. Uh, (laughs) Bond loves them and leaves them. So it should be like these women are particularly special for him to care, but he doesn't spend any time with them. And then you're like, would you really care that much? Like, I think one of the biggest things that hurts this movie is the five years later. And I understand why they do it. But <laughs> it's very much like, um, <laughs> really? <laughs> like you're still caught up on this girl? You oh, were are you just, kidding? I mean, you were come just on, caught that... up on the last one. Might be a weird comparison, but that's like being like, oh, I hate the time skip at the end of La La Land. Like, no, that's why it's so powerful. It's been they, so long, and they no, see each other, and immediately it's right, that. I know, but the thing is, you could have had that be like, oh. They've been traveling for three or four years and then they're separated for five. But instead it's like, oh yeah. And it's the exact same thing that they do with Vesper. The next vacation they go on, things go wrong. And it's like, once again, I will worry about you for the rest of my life. Um, And yeah, I mean, I I also never really bought Madeline um, because Vesper forever. Um, And Like, you know, if Eva Green was my girlfriend and then dumped me and then killed herself, I also would sit around for four movies and cry about her. (laughs) (laughs) Also, have we talked about, um, I went and got coffee. Have, um, Have we talked about the fact that the first two of the Daniel Craig Bond movies are about how he's a young scamp and like, <laughs> he's so thing. hot in this film. Oh well, no, no. Side point. 
Oh Sorry. my god, because Casino Royale—that's why it's iconic, right? It's because he's hot in it. And then, like, he was fine, but he took a little break, let's say. And then this film back on one hundred twenty percent. Fuck! I was sitting there in the press screening, like sweating. <laughs> so, um, nice, a nice reference to your uh, press screening. Um, where's my screening, Carson? Um, <laughs> it's it's time. I want to go screening too. I'm trying, Paul. Uh, are you? <laughs> I've done everything in my power. I can't help you more than I have. <laughs> I feel like just asking on the podcast. You're like, get him a screening. <laughs> you listen. My press people listen to this podcast. Number That's one, I'm true. sorry. I don't know how Hi. you invite me to more podcasts. <laughs> but like, girl, I love you. Oh God, I hate that she actually will listen to this. I love you, but like, give Paul screenings. Thank Come you. on, he's in LA. I'm so him. like, all of my friends are at these screenings um, and they have like, less followers than us i'm like what are you guys doing <laughs> how are you getting priority me? number one keep me getting screenings <laughs> priority number two if you have some free time in the day go ahead send an email hey, and get paul that's screening. why i wouldn't okay. mind going to some in toronto i'm just saying yeah uh, different country i know you don't operate in canada but <laughs> you, you know have people. a connection <laughs> okay so, i know you probably don't but if you do <laughs> so um no i wanted to talk about i think it's so funny um my only quibble with the overall series two things a bond should be more of a ladies man he should have fucked someone random in this movie i'm sorry it's important to the bond character um it is i don't did not in that little like wine cellar that see uh, the I thing thought is that was gonna happen and then it didn't the thing is i actually feel like it should have been lestrana lynch and i feel like it should have been something where he realized she was a spy while they were like or like the next morning very like and you're immediately assumed she's a bad person. And then especially when like they that. go, they go into a bedroom at one point, there's yeah. like so many opportunities when he could have fucked somebody else. You're right. I know. And I just feel like I needed one, mm-hmm. one. Um, I see that. One overall, graphic just like, sex scene with Daniel. I don't think, like, it's not necessary for me, but I understand what you're saying. It's ne- yeah. It just feels necessary for the bond character to be like, Hey, you know, he's still bond, <laughs> but he does like love this woman. And now you know that what? they're back. Together, I want, he- I yes. want another Casino Royale scene when Mads Mikkelsen is beating the shit out of Daniel Craig with like a belt and he's like tied to a chair. I wanted wait, that to happen. Wait, again. wait, wait. Okay. We're going to get, we're going to get to the queer baiting in a second. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we will get to there, but um, no, first of all, um, I, uh, it's interesting to me that these movies go, he's young, he's young, Skyfall, he's old. And the rest of the movies are about how he's so old. And I'm like, yes, this took place over 15 years, but 15 years is like not a ton to go from literal baby spy to like, I think he's retired by Skyfall. And then Mm -hmm. he doesn't really come back to the MI6 really um, through Spectre or like he works with them, but I don't think he's an agent really. I don't remember. Um, but it's like not important to the series that he's, um, you know, I don't understand why they keep mentioning that he's old, except for this one, um, would have made sense. I feel like Skyfall, as much as I think that's a great film, I do think the you're old part of it is very funny. Like, it's like a couple years after you're a young scamp who doesn't, (laughs) you know, who, uh, flies by the seat of his pants and all this stuff. 
I will say but, a side um, point because you mentioned her. I do think it's kind of hilarious how like the consistent debates over the past like decade, let's say about 007, like being a woman and stuff in this film just casually. It's like, no, yeah, it's just a black woman now. Like that's kind of iconic. Love that. It was just very oh, funny yeah. after all the conversation, all the debates that this like movie just kind of casually does it. Well, I also think it um, does away with. I love how they did that. Like, I think it also does away with the kind of thing that um, I think a lot of the people who are against that had problems with um, because it says 007 can be a woman, but James Bond will not be. It even says, um, which I think is a very like indicative thing of where the series is going, um, James Bond will be back. It doesn't say Bond. And I was very impressed by that, actually, because mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you're firmly stamping. Um, I do think that it's uh, bullshit, though, talking about Lashana Lynch and Ana de Armas, who I both think are really great in this. Um, they're like set up for an Amazon TV show, which is why Amazon fucking bought them. So I think it's very funny that Barbara Broccoli's like, we're not doing that. I'm like, of course you are. Literally, Amazon watched this and was like, we can get Ar- Ana de Armas in a show. Right. Um, Amazon so, right uh, now is calling Alina to help write, <laughs> co-write the Amazon Ana de Armas. <laughs> I forgot that my grandma's house has a house phone still, so. That's embarrassing. <laughs> I don't know why you She's would admit funny. that on a podcast. Disgusting. Yeah, I, I do agree that, like, having 007 as, like, a female and then, like, not James Bond makes so much more sense because I don't want like a Jane Bond that's stupid um I would like Daniel Craig said this like earlier this month and I feel like people like headlined it to like try and get him canceled but like I can't remember exactly what it was but he said like oh we should just have like better roles for women rather than like putting women into like men's roles already I'm like yeah he's I think it was that and POC uh yeah it was like yeah keep it as like Bond as a character and that's actually and one then of my write big... better roles for like women yeah. and people of color exactly oh my god the other thing uh you referenced it earlier uh alina about uh the queer baiting in this bond is so weird um and actually this is moving forward talking about like bond moving forward um you know i'm of the uh type that goes if we want to have a poc or a female agent let's just make one versus just like changing bond um i'm very of the put him in the 60s go back to that era keep him there forever um modern bond i like i love daniel craig but i don't feel like he's bond he's just like born knockoff that kind of became bond again um but it's definitely just jason Bourne. um (laughs) and but the one thing i would like is bond is a little gay and he's so straight in every movie, except when Daniel Craig gets one line and it's like, oh, okay, uh, that's that's where we're going to like kind of casually. It's very funny to me that um, I think of the two most gay baby actors and the most gay baby actor and actress are um, – Rachel uh, Wise and Daniel Craig, and they are married yes. to each other. I love <laughs> like, that. Whenever I think of like the two that I'm like, they're definitely a hundred percent straight, but they love pretending that they're not. Um, mm-hmm. And it's those two. <laughs> um, and I just would like a. That's why, like, when they're you know people are talking about Richard Madden or something, I'm like, ooh, yeah, okay, because you know he's he's on the DL. Um, and it would be nice for him to not be on the DL and also be like a, a buy bond. 
Um, and I feel like that's more something that like people could get their minds around than like, I mean, you guys were very young, but you don't even remember that like people lost their goddamn minds about uh, Bond being blonde and blue eyed, which moving to our spoilers. Well, first, can I just say about the gay shit? Just, oh. I would love, you know, after being inspired by Netflix's Q-Force, the hit animated series, I would just love to see that made live action turn Bond. I think get the writers from that show and just bring it in. I want to see Daniel Craig, bring Daniel Craig back. And I want to see him with all the WeHo jokes. Let's do it. <laughs> and I want to see Amazing. all the fucking people in London lose their minds when he, okay. Daniel Craig is like sniffing a popper and is like shooting someone. Give oh, it to God. me. Um, so... Uh, I had such a good transition, but uh, the blue I ruined eyes because I'm an asshole. Yeah, Continue. blue eyes. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler is the last line before James Bond dies, which is the best fuck you to the people who. And I know that's why they wrote it. She has your eyes because it's about all the people who are like Bond can't be blue eyed. It's so good. <laughs> that's the thing people uh, were mad about. They were livid. Um, they were livid that he was like too gay too. I mean, like there was like when Daniel Craig, and this is like very interesting for like how society has changed in the past 15 years. When Daniel Craig was announced, I remember being pissed. I remember my friends being pissed. James Bond had to be a brown haired. I was nine in 2006. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, and he had to wear a suit nearly every single second and it had to be all about jokes i even remember like disliking casino royale because it was not bond um and you know uh the daniel craig era has had so many things where he says fuck you to bond fans um most notably in casino royale um when they ask how do you like your martini shaken or stirred and he goes i don't give a damn and then he drinks Heineken. Um, it's like, it's so upsetting to like the traditional Bond fans. So it's very funny to have him like suddenly kind of become Bond in this last one. Um, I feel like that's you know, kind of like stupid looking at Bond overall because Bond has consistently changed. Like saying like, he has, yes, but there are couple... iconic lines and such, let's say, and like iconic little character moments. Um, but like, I don't know. I just feel like that's such a funny thing to say considering how much in this series and this character has changed. Like I love them watching like Moonraker and being like this, Daniel Craig is not like this Bond. This is Bond. You can't have fucking blonde eyes as like this guy with the metal jaws like floating around in space fighting people. Yeah. Like that's amazing. Um, yes. Well, I mean, and that's part of the thing that like I hope that they do bring back in a future one. Um, but yeah. Um... You know what I can't wait to do? I can't wait to go and like watch all of the old James Bond movies and be like, this reminds me of Austin Powers. Cause that's exactly what I'm going to do. Oh yeah. No, it, a lot of people. Yeah, no, it, it is a lot like Austin <laughs> Powers actually. And it is as jokey as Austin Powers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Bond dies in this and I was expecting to hate it because I hate when my- uh, Did fucking... we say spoilers? yeah we said spoil no we said spoilers like three times i did okay. i said blue eyes it's gonna be a spoiler it's the last okay, line he okay, said okay I'm, okay i'm just saying i'm looking out for our fans when bond <laughs> dies um 
I was really expecting to hate it and I kind of loved it. It was kind of like, this is perfect. I was um, crying. Yeah, no. Oh, the I, moment where he gets stabbed and like, cause they did such a good job setting up what that means. And you're like, oh God. And like, mm-hmm. they just, that whole ending is like My heart perfection. just dropped. Amazing. No, no. Uh, I, yeah. And he, <laughs> I love that he breaks fucking, Oh, we also didn't talk about the fact that Rami Malek's character's name is Lucifer Satan. I mean, it's like really? L- Lucifer Safan or whatever, I but it's that. Lucifer Satan, which <laughs> is perfect Bond shit. Um, like, I mean, I didn't, I missed all that stuff. Um, I do wish that, uh, and it's because she's going to be in the show, I know, but... I do wish that Ana de Armas had like a pussy galore style character name, just like something that was just really funny. Um, it's like, it was the one thing that I was like, ah, she's such a good role for this, but I just want her to like, like suddenly be like a girl transport. Cause she felt like a girl transported from the original bonds. Um, and, and I would have liked for her to have had that, but yeah, bond dies and I didn't mind it. Um, I think it worked really well. And I cried. I actually cried more during Felix, who I don't care about. I was just sad that Bond was sad. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, no, there's there's so many aspects of this that like, and I do love this film overall. I do think that there's things that are like a little weird. Uh, I don't care for the one-eyed guy. I would have preferred Billy Magnuson to be the final henchman. Um, I would have flipped those roles. Um, and you could still keep the thing where he's like, brother and he's like you know I had a brother but um I just like the eye guy I was like okay I don't really know who you are you have no personality traits and it wasn't like an odd job where it's like oh this guy's so cool I love having him around I don't mind that he's not got no personality um it's little things like that um I wish uh Rami had worn the mask more um Anything to hide his face in any film, I agree with, actually. Uh, Oh, I will actually say, I got more sad, and this is me being psychotic, I got more sad about uh, Dodo um, (laughs) dying (laughs) than I did Bond. And that's because I I have a real attachment to stuffed animals. um, (laughs) And um, the saddest thing in the world that you can see is a rotting stuffed animal on a child's corpse. On oh, no, a child's grave. Sorry, um, it really fucks you up. My I used to live next to a cemetery, and every time I'd walk through, they'd have like someone's little bunny or something, and it'd been like through rain, and you know, and you'd see it like wearing down. I was like, mm, that's it. But <laughs> um, <laughs> so I since then I've always had like whenever I see a stuffed animal and it's like not with the child, I like lose my shit. It's like Mm-mm, nope. <laughs> So when she really lost thought it, that Bond was going to get off the island clearly to give Dodo back. I, I, I was like thinking, I actually assumed that he was going to die because of all you fucking Twitter people who saw it early. It's so sad. I cried and Bond's sacrifice was uh, really important. No spoilers. Um, you just they do that with it. every film now. It's like when Power of the Dog was coming out, and well, it still hasn't come out to be clear, so spoilers, I guess. But everyone was like, "I'm not gonna spoil if it's gay," but and like, okay, well, you wouldn't mention <laughs> if it's gay if it wasn't gay. I feel like spoilers I'm just doing that with every recently. movie. <laughs> I know you said that, and it's a great strategy. But every movie, people are like now, like, "Wow, the ending had me in tears." Like, I can't. Like, okay, well, then it's sad. Like, it just people are horrible spoilers. 
yeah um and it's like, very particularly recently it's been rough um yeah like, but yeah just because it's not like a specific thing doesn't mean it's not spoiling people. Yeah, uh, I know it's not not at a direct line, and you're still like, oh well, that's a spoiler. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, cool. I love Bond. I'm sad he's gone. I'll miss him. Uh, I guess Knives Out is our next thing. No, I'm so done with. I, I you know what? Here's the tea. There's a lot to talk about who's the next James Bond. I'm ready for it to be dead. This is the end. I do not need a single another Bond project. I'm oh, sorry. no, I want, I I will if it goes back to, like, fun. I don't need another uh, Bourne Bond. I just like we've done it all. I feel like if, we, if you want fun Bond, it's been done. I don't think it's going to be in our modern environment good. Like, I'm just done. Like, I feel like this I is feel, the perfect I feel like, place to um, end. The Man from Uncle is a really good uh, uh, way to see, like, what the future of a Bond could be. Um uh, and, you know, I do think that it could have better representation, but also be back in the 60s, uh, mm-hmm. you know. I'm oh, sad the man other from thing. Uncle never took off. I am that, too. You know, how is uh, that not uncut on Uncut Gems yet? That's like a genuine Uncut Gem. Okay, and now let's head over to Netflix. we got another interactive movie, this time Escape the Undertaker. Alina, you're the one reason we're doing this because you're a huge wrestling fan and you always want us to talk about wrestling. And finally, the world's collided. We got the opportunity what were your thoughts on Escape the Undertaker? Did this leave live up to your expectations or should this been buried deep in a coffin underneath the earth? Um, so for someone who doesn't watch wrestling anymore, I still fucking love talking about wrestling. Um, so like, I don't remember how we found out about Escape the Undertaker, but when I heard about it, I was like, incredible. I love it. Genius. Because like The Undertaker is such like an icon in professional wrestling. Like I started watching wrestling when I was 11. I remember being terrified of him because he was like so fucking scary. Like when he did his like entrance to like the church bells and he would come out and then he'd take off his hat and then he would like stick his tongue out and his eyes would be rolled back in his head. Amazing. So like I think to do like a WWE like wrestling haunted house using the Undertaker is like the perfect thing. Um, and then I stopped watching wrestling before like the New Day became like a tag team stable thing. But I've like seen them like here and there. And I think their like positive like energy works so well in comparison to like the Undertaker that like this is not good by any means but I had so much fun with it. Um, like going through like the escape room. Cause like, I've never done an escape room. I've never done like interactive media. This is my first time. And like, this was the thing that was going to make me do it. Cause I just had to um, see what like Undertaker's haunted house was like. And I think it's like short enough that you have plenty of time to like explore all the options. It's silly. It's stupid. It's like the exact kind of nonsense that I enjoy. So like this was made for me. And I loved a lot of like the more obscure, like old school wrestling references. Um, like there's a point where there's like a Morgan Undertaker's house and like uh, the New Day are like, who has a Morgan in their house? And then Biggie's like, well, it is the Undertaker. Fucking loved that line. And then when they're in the morgue, they read a, like a corpse and there's like a toe tag on it that says Isaac Yankum. And I like had to pause and like scream because like, that reference no one else is gonna get it but like Isaac Yankum is Kane's original like 
WWE debut. He like debuted as Isaac Yankum, DDS, and he was like this psycho dentist to Jerry the King Lawler. And he was supposed to be like a rival for Bret the Hitman Hart. It's so stupid and insane. But then later, um, Isaac Yankum re-debuts as Kane, and Kane is like in wrestling lore, Undertaker's brother. And they become like the brothers of destruction. It's like a thing. So like I loved that there was a Kane reference. Like this amazing. I loved it. I know you guys hated it, but I had a good time. <laughs> now I know what it feels like to like be someone who hasn't watched the MCU and try to get into it at this point. Cause that was just like a whole history textbook of information. No, I enjoyed this. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a big fan of this interactive stuff and I've yet to find one that plays well or is not boring. Um, but this film or this show or this game, whatever you want to call it, the new day saved this. They were hysterical. And I'm so sad that I don't think Paul liked them because I think he te- he texts like, oh, they're annoying. I was like, okay, they're entering, they're walking up the steps and they're like, why couldn't we have done this in the day? And they just turn and very charismatically just yell like, oh, because like the lawn's on fire. And just every one liner they have is like genuinely made me laugh out loud. Um, the Undertaker, like not great. He's definitely, it's hysterical seeing how old he is because you made me watch um, an old match he had. And he's like young and threatening there. And now he's just like this old man who definitely like looks like he cannot walk really. Um, and, you know, it's not great. Right? Yeah, we'll come back to King of the Ring 1998. We'll come <laughs> yes. back to that Carson. Because there's a lot to talk about actually. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, I mean, I thought it was fine. It was short enough. I think if you were a wrestling fan, I'm sure this would really do something for you as is like it was a briefly entertaining but kind of also boring experience but like after bandersnatch after the man versus wild one and i've talked about on the podcast how much i love bear grills like they're just boring they're not my thing um so i think it was more a fundamental issue rather than like this project actually being bad i loved it i had so much fun um i am a big wrestling fan too but i'm not big into wwe but Alina, I have the same experience growing up seeing The Undertaker on TV in the 90s and just being absolutely terrified by him. Like mm-hmm. when he walked out and I would see it on TV, I would think, why would anyone want to subject themselves to this? It's so scary. The lights were going crazy. Mm-hmm. So having him be the main character in this made so much sense. It felt kind of like an extended promo that would play before a match or like, you know, a promo for an upcoming match coming up. And I, I think agree. it really it really fit the vibe of WWE. So it really tied into that atmosphere. I did struggle with my remote. Netflix was not responding well. So about halfway through, I just let it auto pick the first choice for everything and just kind of watched it, which it worked out fine. But the interactive part really didn't do much for me. The yeah, thing. Um, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, I don't know if this is a thing for like all interactive media, but I didn't like that whenever I clicked something it like wouldn't play the rest of the scene it would just like get cut off is that a thing in like other <clears throat> interactive stuff yes <laughs> for netflix specifically um <laughs> 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 so as someone who uh went to school with the purpose of doing interactive film and sat around screaming in his early 20s that interactive film was going to become a thing and no one listened to me uh i like uh my credentials i did do a project with pbs um for interactive um i'm friends with a lot of people who do interactive it is very much my shit um so 
this is embarrassing. Like in terms of the interactive quality, I don't know if you guys saw, but Netflix just bought Night Studio, which is known for its like interactive movies. So I think their quality is about to jump up dramatically. But right now this is like something that you could have done in the 90s um, in terms of like how it's done. Um, originally, Alina, actually how Netflix would do it is you would click an option and then it would play through the rest of the clip. But this was done differently to fix that. Originally, it would be like, what do you want to do? And then it would just pause and then you'd click it and then you'd wait for the pause and it would kill timing. So they've cut it down to where as soon as you click, it happens. However, this fills up that time with jokes. So you're like really stuck. You're in a weird position for this specific one. But um, in terms of interactive media, there's like two kinds of versions. There is uh, choose your own adventure. And then there's also like being able to click at different scenes and kind of just interacting with the story. And that's um, where I find more interest. I think it's better done. It's basically gamification of uh, video. Um, and this is just like very bland. Um, so I disliked this on multiple levels. I do see if I was a um, wrestling fan, how this would be fun. I am not a wrestling fan. Uh, I got kidnapped by my friends almost weekly for a little while where I would go watch wrestling um, a couple of years back. And every time I was like, I don't get this y'all. And they were like, oh my God, it's new day. And I was like, oh, to the point that when they showed up, I forgot that they existed. And then like at one point he said like big E and I was like, oh, it's that Wait, guy. did you get, you? did you go to like raw and things like that? I mean, no, I watched them all. There's just oh, okay. Like so, I thought I'd go you over... meant like your friends actually went to like live events. Oh no, well no, they they'd have me over for a party, and they'd be like, "Actually, it's WrestleMania," and I was like, "No, God!" Please. Wow, it feels like being friends with Alina definitely is going to turn into that very shortly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it's like... I like two years ago when I was living with like one of my old roommates in Ottawa. I don't know how it happened, but I like went off about like every single iconic moment I could remember from wrestling, and I just like held her hostage at like the table on YouTube and I was showing her all the like cool shit I remembered and now she's like a huge fan so like all the all I don't watch every single pay-per-view like Wrestlemania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, Royal Rumble like the big four we like watch them together and like text during it so like that's the closest I've ever had to a wrestling party. To be fair, uh, uh, Paul, you better be ready. WrestleMania is in LA in two years and we're all going. I, I heard going. <laughs> um and uh, I'm busy that week. Um <laughs> but uh so yeah it's uh, it's just a little, uh, to me, it's like, it did feel exactly what you're saying, Alina, where it feels like, um, the, if you don't know all of the jokes, like Isaac, uh, I forgot his name. I was going to say Isaac, Isaac Yankum. Yankum. <laughs> um, so yeah, Yankum. Like Yankum um, teeth. I, I got, yeah. Got oh, it. clever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> look at us becoming wrestling fans right before your ears. Um, but like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I get it. I get it. But it was just not something that was like, uh, it felt so different for me. And I feel like if you're going to have something with Netflix that doesn't have a bunch of like WrestleMania stuff on it, they needed to do it a little bit more like intro to wrestling. Um, Cause I think this could have been fun, but also in terms of what we were talking about uh, interactive uh, and actually to Maddie's point, 
the choices really don't matter all that much. There's basically two endings, maybe three, um, but they ultimately like don't matter. So I'm guessing, Maddie, did they survive in yours or did they die? They survived, but they didn't have the urn when they left. And they were oh. like, hey, what happened to the urn? And then they were like, whatever. And then just walked away. Wait, they weren't that's... too upset about it. That's so funny because that's actually the good ending. That's like the best ending you can get. So <laughs> if All you right. don't, yeah, so actually that's kind of wild. So if you don't touch this, you just get the best ending apparently. No, the, the best like, one is when they destroy the urn. That's what she's talking about. So did they, did they, they destroy it in your smatty? Um, you know, I'm not exactly sure. At the end, it got a little a little funky with what they're mm -hmm. up to. So I couldn't tell if the urn like destroyed itself or if they destroyed it, but at the end, they were outside they got transported or less they get like transported outside and like all of them that i went through but like the way to do it is you have to take the power vial and then you have to destroy the urn i oh, destroyed yeah. I the urn i, I like the power vial the vial i was like i'm not messing with that <laughs> well i just know in escape rooms because it also pisses me off that this is not ever going to be a real escape room because it does seem very fun to do as an escape room but like mm -hmm. if you get anything just keep it with you and you always like it never hurts to have more things than you need. So I was like, yeah, I'll keep it. I just didn't want to trust the Undertaker. I just anything. <laughs> That's valid. He's a scary being. Were you surprised <laughs> there was no wrestling in it, or is that kind of a WWE vibe, just in general? Not to throw shade on WWE, because I know. Yeah, I was gonna say I wish that there was like more actual wrestling in it. Like, especially when um, Undertaker and New Day finally have their, like, final confrontation, then you get to pick, like, whether Big E charges at, charges at him first or, like, Xavier Woods or, like, Kofi, whatever. Um, I wanted it to, like, be more, and I wanted you to have, like, more choices that you could, like, orchestrate a little wrestling match between them. It would have been really cool. Like, I just, I wanted more from that. To be fair, yeah, can Undertaker wrestle right now? Because it did look like he couldn't, like, yes. walk around Walmart without his little, like, cart scooter. Okay, Carson, the insane thing about Undertaker is, like, even though the last ride documentary came out, is he was still wrestling up until a year ago. I don't know if he still is. There's always an opportunity of him to come back. Like, he's literally, <laughs> I think he's almost 60. He still wrestles because he loves the business sorry, so much. Wait a second. That man is only 60. <laughs> yes. I no, literally like, thought he was 94. I know. No. I was like, I was like, wow, he must be the same age or older than like Clint Eastwood and Cry Macho. <laughs> he looks well, like Jakob He's age. done like total insane matches. So like he's aged like a ton, but he's 56, guys. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, like I, I'm I'm legit serious. And like oh, no. um he, he was like still he so in like 2014 that's when like undertaker lost like the big iconic wrestlemania streak to brock lesnar but then and i thought that was the moment undertaker was gonna retire the streak is over he's done but then every single wrestlemania since he's come back except for one he's like fought roman reigns he's fought john cena triple h like he comes back for mania because WrestleMania is synonymous with Undertaker and Undertaker has like such a deep love and respect for the business and for Vince McMahon that if Vince McMahon calls like Mark like Undertaker on the phone he's gonna be there so like he will literally do anything for the McMahons so if like literally this WrestleMania if Vince calls him be like I need you to fight he'll do it and he's 56 and like dying it's insane like it actually like breaks my heart oh yeah he needs to stop Alina's monologues about wrestling is actually a lot right now. 
more than I thought it would I like be completely disassociated. <laughs> <laughs> it was like yeah somewhere else <laughs> the meme was like oh elena's gonna care about wrestling and now it really actually turned out to be true yeah, i wish i wish i could participate because i do have this wrestling passion too it's just i don't know anything about wwe i know you yeah. know the names and who they are but bring up chris jericho bring up new japan for wrestling i'll have that same passion mm-hmm. yeah I, think- I started in like yeah. 2007 when i was 11 so like the indie scene hadn't really like taken off yet and i was like too young for like the indie scene on the internet so like wwe is like my baby it was my religion i watched smackdown every week i watched raw every week like i didn't miss a week if my friends wanted to hang out on a friday night wasn't happening i had to watch smackdown <laughs> I will say, Lena, your passion. My friend loves New Japan. Apparently, I don't mm-hmm. know the difference, but it's just a different. I company. have agreed to watch a, like something with him. I don't know what it is. I don't know when it is, but I agreed to. So I've I haven't seen like a lot people. of New Japan, but New Japan's really good. Yeah, if you uh, have AEW is a big thing too, but I haven't really watched it. But like Punk's back. I've been like slow I'm like really I'm at my breaking point to the point where I think I might watch AEW like every time CM Punk does a program I'm like oh fuck you gotta come <laughs> over to AEW it's fun we got Daniel Bryan we got Jericho I know got- like all of my boys are leaving WWE and going over there and I'm like fuck we got Moxley. <laughs> Christian's there like when I Christian know. left I was furious because I really wanted an edge and Christian tag team you can cut this out Carson this is a tangent <laughs> we don't need okay. no, the only other- <laughs> Had was Undertaker had that weird sandwich, which was really distracting. Like, I don't know if you guys had any thoughts about that, but that was a strange choice. But that's all the rest I have for this. <laughs> oh, there are so there are so many things. Like uh, I was really trying to figure out for a while. I was like, because um, I'm an idiot, and I always, whenever someone like shoots a thing that's like, oh, this is in their house, I'm always like is this their house? I'm like, it's never their house fault. Like, I'm, I'm pretty like, certain this house was used in prank encounters, at least the outside of it. I'm like 90% sure. Another hit Netflix show is starring Gaten from Stranger Things, where it's a prank show and the second season is during COVID. So they prank innocent people looking for work in the middle of COVID. Oh, yeah. Iconic. That was, that was a big drama, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're like, get at your port and it's a pandemic. We're going to fake giving you a job. <laughs> oh, God. The best part about the show, just a side point, is that Gate in every episode runs out and no one knows who he is. But like, it's supposed to be like a celebrity thing. Like, oh my God, but no one knows who this child is so funny and so embarrassing you're um, the I'm least popular sure. kid from stranger things <laughs> i'd argue he's like number two but i'm pretty sure the house was the same house as used in that netflix production that would make sense because it's netflix um so i'm sure it's just it's like fucking the ceo's house and he's like yeah yeah use it <laughs> <laughs> the netflix um... mansion yeah. So like the the only thing that I like wanted to explore like a bit more with Escape the Undertaker is like the part when they like touch the urn and they like uh like the new day experiences their like different fears. The one for Kofi is like Kofi Kingston is him um like Vince McMahon telling him that he's like not good enough and all these things and that he'll never be champion. Um, but like, I remember, like, I think it's two, maybe three WrestleManias ago, he became like the WWE champion, like the big dog. So if any of our like Clappercast listeners, like watch WWE, like still, cause like, I don't, I just follow it loosely. Did like Kofi go back? Like, did he like fall off again? Like, is he back? 
back at like his level that he was before that because I didn't get that because I know he's already been like the big champion like it didn't make sense to me so like where is escape the undertaker in the WWE timeline that's what I want to know is it canon (laughs) do they have the urn now (laughs) that's what I'm saying but like the other thing is the undertaker's urn has not been like a thing for years so like it was fun to have it brought back like it was very much more of a thing in like the 90s like early 2000s undertaker but when i was watching like 2007 undertaker the urn was not much of a thing so it was um, fun to like go back to old school undertaker so it, Speak- it's- wait, I, ha- I had a really good transition paul but okay oh i was well i, I was wanting to <laughs> hop in here real quick and ask about uh what everyone's fears were okay. uh since we're talking about that um uh, so we had this question asked during my internship, actually, like, what's your biggest fear? And all the kids said stuff like spiders and underwater and all this stuff. And I was like, I would hate to be, my biggest fear is being homeless during an ice storm and trying to call my family and they won't answer my call. And I'm just <laughs> sitting there and everyone else is like, what happened? And I was like, oh, I thought we were doing legitimate fears. Not like, like, oh, I'm scared of spiders. I'm like, I could deal with spiders. It's legitimately like, I just imagine like, oh, I guess I'm freezing to death and no one wants to talk to me. <laughs> I'm shocked you didn't say Nomadland 2. I thought it'd be yours for sure, but okay. The four hour cut of Nomadland. <laughs> Mine would be guys who say they like me and then ghost me, but also spiders. <laughs> <laughs> but there's spiders who ghost you. <laughs> Carson, what you got? Yeah, mine would probably just be spiders. I picked that option and like, not to be fully reductive considering you guys are very deep things, but like I picked the spider option and I immediately was like, that's the only decision I switched because I was like, no, I'm not doing this today. I don't like spiders. (laughs) What do you got, Maddie? I don't remember. I just remember Xavier was in a coffin and being buried alive does sound pretty terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no. uh, I had a choice. I just went Xavier because I think he's cute. So I just wanted to see what he was up to. (laughs) Mine would be having a weekly podcast where I've talked to an annoying person from LA every week as they just complain (laughs) and shit on random things and are just grumpy. That'd be my worst fear. Mr. Price's Grumpy Show. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We we actually did, in fact, get fan mail that said that the only problem with it was it was Mr. Price's Grumpy Show because I don't like a lot of things. Maybe maybe my biggest fear is finding out my friends had a group chat talking shit on my kidney donation. <laughs> I think that would be Literally my one. nightmare. <laughs> no, my nightmare would be if my group chat shitting on someone's kidney donation got subpoenaed. Leaked to the New yeah. York Times. Uh, so <laughs> actually, I went to the uh, premiere of... Uh, the West Coast premiere of The Black Phone last night. And Scott Derrickson was talking and he's like, yeah, there was this kid I used to know and I stole a bunch of his lines and I just wrote him straight into the movie exactly how, and I leaned over to my friend and I was like, bad art friend. (laughs) He's a living bad art friend. (laughs) I love that he was like admitting it. Cause I was like, you 100% read that article. Did you not like think that that's like a thing we're talking about right now? You can wow. almost tell that like three or four people in the audience were all like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard this before. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I was going to say, like, speaking of old school Undertaker, I made Carson watch under the Undertaker versus Mankind at King of the Ring 1998 because Carson, have you, you've not seen wrestling before, have you? 
So this was your first thing. So I was trying to like think of the most iconic Undertaker match. And this is the one that came to mind. Like it has been talked to death, but I just wanted to hear Carson because he has not seen it before. Cause I love this match. What did you think? It was a lot, right? It starts with this big cage. And like, you know what? There's a lot of big moments here. Like a guy gets thrown off the cage. A guy gets thrown through the cage. And like, okay, that stuff is a lot. Because like, yes, it's a big fall. But what really got me is they both got on top of this huge cage. And the first step, it like breaks, like not clearly in a way it's not supposed to. So you like, they're just on top of this really rickety cage. And it was like, huh, that would be very bad if someone just fell through it. So I was just like, that's, it's a lot. It was a very stressful experience whenever they were on top of the cage. It was good. It was fun. Like I genuinely had a lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. So like I was the, the first fall when like Undertaker throws him off the cage onto the Spanish announce table, that was planned. Um, but like people still like uh, Terry Funk and like Vince McMahon like freaked out and they like broke kayfabe because like, uh, kayfabe is like the lore of wrestling and like the characters um so like when Vince was like looking concerned at like mankind that was like a huge thing because like Vince and mankind are supposed to like each other in the wrestling world but like the real Vince was like concerned so that and like back in like the 90s kayfabe was a huge thing you did not break it um and then like I love this match because it has some of like JR's best calls I fucking love when he's like oh my god as god is my witness he's broken in half Mm. so good um but like the thing Carson that I (laughs) that freaked me out is the choke slam through the cage like the second time wasn't supposed to happen so like that one was unplanned like it's wild and his head like slams right next to the chair like if he got knocked out during that for real like crazy almost died Match, yeah right? like, this was and very like bad for and then it comes oh my to God, him shot... sitting up smiling and he has like, With just, the like blood. A... yeah and he has some shit oh. in his nose and like he just yeah. looks like destroyed amazing was, like, a lot amazing his wife and kids like in the front row just like <laughs> crying yeah this. like my dad yeah because like that's iconic because like <laughs> the thing with jr's calls they were real like jr like fully thought that like mick foley was dead like th- this is like the wrestling match i would say so i'm glad you watched it and the reason i made carson do this is in february and march him and oh, i are going to do a road to saying- wrestlemania <laughs> segment yes it's happening i'm going to make them you can come back maddie it's gonna be yeah, lit I'm going to one. I'm going to make him watch like a shitty movie from WWE Studios and then we're going to watch an iconic match from like the superstar so like for example we'll do like John Cena in 12 rounds and like an iconic John Cena match I have to curate the list but it's going to be this lit. is such a Paul is not strategy because we were like yeah. oh maybe we'll... not participate. <laughs> we were like maybe we'll do this it's just an idea and now you've publicly announced this now we have because I want it, it to happen and it's I, very strong fun. strategy my favorite part is the original premise was like maybe two to three weeks and now you're like it's an eight month e- <laughs> <laughs> it's an eight week event for the next three it's years we're gonna really look into these things <laughs> i'm excited to watch our viewers just like fly off <laughs> just like i think we're to, gonna like, get more people are wrestling. nerdy wrestling fans see everyone uh, when i tweeted out on the poll like oh lola lena wants to turn us into a wrestling podcast i wasn't joking she just wants us to become a wrestling podcast <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think it's a genius idea and you guys are just haters. Well, when I, when it's my turn, I I say we're doing a Pokemon retrospective and we're watching all 25 films. I'm down for that. (laughs) No complaints. 
<laughs> I'm in for that one too. Uh, sorry, I'm your fourth host now. <laughs> I think actually you might just be our third because I feel like Paul's going to quit very soon. <laughs> <laughs> the silence. Unfortunately, this is my last week. I was finding my replacement, like how you have to do at a restaurant before you. <laughs> no, this, week, this man binge watched in one day all the 12 The Boys. Another day, he binge watched all the Kissing Booth films. Like he's done so much. And Elena brought this up and he just said, I'm not doing that. <laughs> He said straight up, I'm not doing it, which was. I will watch the bad movies because I love bad movies, but I'm not sitting and watching wrestling. That's Um, valid. You can join for the bad movies. I I can respect uh, that. So uh, I guess I'll switch over since we're talking about like what people are uh, obsessed with. So um, I feel like uh, bringing in people who like horror makes the horror uh, road to horror kind of more fun. So this week we are talking about uh, gross out horror and things that kind of just, uh, make your stomach churn a little bit. Um, and so this week we're talking about audition. We're talking about Southbound and we're talking about Hellraiser. Uh, and we'll start with audition. So I'll pass that over to you, Maddie. Audition was a movie that I was terrified to watch. You know, I've I'm a big, big horror fan now, but growing up, I was terrified of scary movies, and Audition was one where I just refused to ever see it, but I've always wanted to. It's a Japanese horror movie. I think it's from, is it 1999? Um, It's about a guy who is a widow, and he wants to find a new wife. He's lonely. Even his son is like, Dad, you're lonely. You got to get a girlfriend. So he holds this really gross uh, like fake audition for a movie to basically cast himself a girlfriend in real life he gets a girlfriend and it turns out that she is an absolute violent psychopath and we get to watch what happens after that I absolutely loved it um I'd say three-fourths of the movie is not gross out but that last chunk is definitely in the gross out horror movie category and I watched it like this with my face covered, but I was also smiling on this bottom half of my face. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was one of those people who their friend was like, oh, we're just going to watch this. Don't even worry about it. And I remember like watching it and being like, oh, my friend puts on random romantic dramas and stuff. That's normal. And <laughs> then that fucking sack shakes. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, that part, definitely, you know, growing up, like I said, I was scared of horror movies, but I was so, like, fascinated and excited by the idea of it, so I would watch all these, like, top 100 scariest moments in movie countdown, so I knew what was coming, and I'm so disappointed that I did, because that that phone ringing scene with the sack in the background, that I cannot imagine seeing that and not knowing what was going to happen. Yeah, um, and that's one of the things that's really interesting is, um, like, when this was initially marketed, it was marketed as kind of like a, like, oh, yeah, it's mostly, like, a cutesy thing. There's some darker elements and stuff. That is psychotic. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) And I love the idea that people have definitely seen this and 100%, I mean, I did, went in and, like, (laughs) just expected it to be this, like, cutesy movie, and then all of a sudden this girl's vomiting (laughs) into a bowl and feeding it to a guy, and cutting off heads and arms and like <laughs> yeah it goes hard very fast it's 
if you yeah if you didn't know it was coming I cannot even imagine imagine if you like went to see this like on a date or something like like, teenager birthday party I went to rom-coms all the time in the late 90s for birthday parties can you imagine just oh oh yeah oh yeah just that when that scene happened and it was like the sack was going you could see the main character like totally figuring out what's going on and then in the background you're like what is she doing over the sink what is that noise and it was just like all these different like fucked up things happening at the same time like that's the part where you're like this is a very different movie than I have been watching I heard you guys didn't like this as much so I'm curious about your opinions and I'm sure it's just the slowness of the first couple acts which I totally get um like I feel like I've I'm in a weird position having not ever seen it knowing it's a horror and watching the first hour or so I think hour and a half mm-hmm. um, yeah because like uh, so I watched it this morning and like you told us that this is for gross out horror and for like the first hour and a half I was like where is it I'm watching like a romantic drama that I generally like don't give a fuck about but then <laughs> the last 30 minutes like when the sack pops up I was like losing my mind and I was I was really struggling the needles the vomiting Oh my God. Like <laughs> when she's like driving the needles into his face and it's just like staying deeper and deeper. I, I was like, I have to pause this. I'm like, leave for a sec. Like it's fucking crazy. Um, but it takes it personally for me, like knowing it was a horror movie, it took way too long to get there. Those, that was really my only thing. It's just like, it's long. Yeah. I agree fully. And you mentioned Paul earlier, like having to watch something when you're kind of required to for the podcast, when you're not in the mood that was very much so my experience with audition. I have a shit ton of films I need to watch that are like in screeners and stuff. Like I just have a ton of films and I really was not that interested in audition. So I feel like if I would have like watched it when I was in the mood for it, I would have liked it more. I still liked it. I think especially the end really gets going. And even though like the first two acts are kind of boring, there is a lot of technical craft here. I love the camera work in this film, especially. I was like, it wasn't bad ever. I didn't like hate the film. It just like, I don't think I watched it at the right time to fully appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, uh, go ahead. I just, I honestly think this one might be kind of really fun to go back and watch a second time now that, you know, we've seen it, we know what happens because I think there is, like you said, Carson, so much technical craft as far as setting up pretty much everybody as a totally unreliable narrator just because there's so many like is he dreaming did this actually happen did he listen to her is that what she actually said like you know their dates and how it has like different flashbacks of it I think going back to watch it and those parts that maybe seemed a little bit more boring or slow because even though I loved it I do admit the first chunk you're just like okay get to it get to it I want to see the needle part you know what I mean that going back now and knowing everything that happens I think I think it'd be pretty interesting to see all those kind of subtle, you know, camera work or different dialogue changes just to see how that all adds up. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, So another film that uh, I got reviews of it's boring um, (laughs) was Southbound. Um, Okay. So there's a very specific reason why we watched Southbound. Um, I saw this at AI Fi Fest for the, um, Midnight uh, Madness film. So um, if you go to AFI Fest, the movies, if you don't get to go to the final movie, end at around eight. And that's the last movie you're going to go see. Um, 
And then there's the midnight movies. So you're in downtown Hollywood and there's nothing to do except eat and then eventually just drink because everything is closed except the bars. So uh, my friend and I go to this like Mexican restaurant and we get Mexican food and then these horrible, overly um, sweetened margaritas. They're literally the worst thing. Um, and if you've been to Hollywood and like had to stick around there for a while, you've probably been to this bar and you know exactly what I'm talking about. They're awful, but they come in pitchers for like $20. Um, so with all of that in my stomach, I go to see Southbound and we get there a little late. And so we are in the front row. And so <laughs> usually when something starts grossing me out, um, I'm able to look away. When you were in the front row of the Chinese theater, you are just staring at the screen. There is nowhere else to look. And uh, a little backstory with me, if I close my eyes, the sounds are always worse. Whatever the sound is, is always worse than whatever the visual is. Uh, that started actually with X-Men, uh, um, with uh, Senator Kelly exploding, which I closed my eyes as a kid, heard all the sounds and ran screaming from the theater. So <laughs> we get through the first act and I'm like, mm. This is not, this is not doing it for me. I'm, I'm not enjoying this second act. We get to the third act, which is set in a hospital. And at one point, a guy sticks his hand down a girl's throat. And at that moment I went, oh, I am throwing up. <gasps> so I run from the theater down the hallway. And if you've like been to like the, uh, the secondary Chinese theater, it is so far to get to the bathroom. I am sprinting, throw myself into one of the uh, into one of the toilets and just like vomit for like a good like ten minutes, and then come back and watch the rest of the movie. Wow, I feel <laughs> like the like, director would love to hear that story. Oh no! As I was leaving, I heard people clapping, like because they <laughs> knew what was happening. I mean, clearly, and so I'm sure, like. Uh, you know, the guy who ends up doing weirdly uh, the new Hellraiser movie. I'm sure that's like a moment he like remembers. Um, I did not stay for the Q&A because I would have been right up in front and I know they would have like, <laughs> I was like thinking about it. I was like, what if they reference me? I'm not doing this. Uh, but yeah, like full on rant. So that's why this is in gross out um, because it is the only movie I've ever gotten sick in. <laughs> well, that's not true. Uh, the other one was, of course, uh, 127 hours, but that was because I went to Thanksgiving dinner before I went and saw 127 hours. <laughs> Ooh, these are yeah. some choices you've made before. Well, my, it was like the it was like the coolest kid at school was like, hey, you want to come see 127 hours? And I was like, of course, coolest kid in school. And then I went and I was trying to be cool. And then I was like, I'm going to leave for a second. <laughs> Don't worry <sighs> about me. Um, but yeah, so like, I don't think this is a perfect film uh, whatsoever. Um, in terms of anthologies, I find it really interesting um, in that all the stories connect, but it's not great outside of this, that one scene. Uh, curious what you guys think. I mean, I hated I it. I thought this was yeah. so boring. <laughs> oh my God. Like peace and love. I'm sure, you know, you liked it, but like, God, I don't, I don't like anthologies <laughs> to be fair. I'm not like a big anthology person, but this one I was just was like, yeah, not for me. Very boring. Um, 
the other interesting thing actually is that it is like later to be really well-known horror directors for the most part like doing one of their first roles um the first two the first and last one are uh the guys from ready or not and now scream five and then um the middle one with the hospital scene is um the night house director who is also doing hellraiser i thought the highs were very high and the lows were very low <laughs> i know yes. that's a really like cheesy thing to say but i came into it open mind it did feel a little kind of i think i put in my review like very like sci-fi channel-y like as far as quality but the hospital scene i thought was like so perfectly awfully well done and like the best way possible but the first and last ones and the one with the sis- missing sister in the bar I was refilling my drink during those parts to be <laughs> honest with you <laughs> okay so I was live texting Paul as I was watching this and I was like really bored for like the first two and then like the third one happened and then I was like not on board for like the last two again but like so I'm texting Paul for the third one I'm like why did she not move from the middle of the road oh no he's in an abandoned <laughs> hospital my heart is beating so fast not her leg breaking I hate this and then Paul texts me through crying emojis and then I wrote I'm screaming my apple watch just suggested I do a breathing exercise and then I sent him a voice note that said you must compress the lung and then Paul wrote and Paul ran and I said I can't I literally can't is this the part when you puked and then I wrote oh god he just compressed the lung his whole ass forearm is in her chest cavity this is the best segment though and that was my thoughts on this like I did not like it other than the third part and I I feel like like is an interesting word to describe the third part right yeah (laughs) no definitely um and like I do find, uh, Maddie, I think you've watched a lot of anthologies as well. I do find the smoothness of this to be really interesting. It must be so hard to do um, in terms of like write something, but it's got to connect. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought it was really cool, especially, yeah, the part where, you know, I was actually pretty invested in the girl band section. I was like, okay, this is getting somewhere. I liked the main character. It was neat. And then she got hit. I'm like, oh no, what's going to happen to her? And then it took a little bit. I was like, oh, this isn't about her anymore. It's about the new guy. And so that kind of smoothness, like I totally went with it. But then I think going to the next part, I think it was not as smooth where she's like, oh, I saw someone on the phone. And then I walked by them. It wasn't, it wasn't as like, oh, wow, that was incredible. It was like, oh, okay. That one was a little lazier, but as far as anthologies go, yeah, I thought it was really creative, a creative way to connect the stories. And the only thing I wish is that, especially with stuff like this, where they try to be like, give you enough. So you are engaged, but not enough. So it's boring. Those really sweet, like skeleton reaper things. I wanted to know like a tiny bit more what their deal was just so I wasn't like, oh, there's the skeleton boy again flying around. But I feel like that's such a fine line to kind of straddle as far as like, you don't need it spelled out, but just a little bit more explanation of what are we in hell? Like what's going on here? Yeah, I've, from what I've read, um, it seems to be like, it's supposed to be purgatory and this is just happening again and again, like all all of these stories are just happening again and again and again to these same characters for all eternity because of the sins of what they did when they were like in earth. Um, and like, I definitely see what that, that that could be it. 
Um, but I don't think it particularly works. I do find this very interesting. This is like apparently one of like Paul Thomas Anderson's like he considers a hidden gem and like really loves it. It is wild to me. Yeah, this is also uh, one of the favorite movies of a guy I just ghosted. So, I a lot of people love this movie. I don't get uh, it. <laughs> like whenever I reference that I got sick in it, like even like last night I was uh, in line for the black phone and uh, the people next to me I referenced that we were talking about it on the podcast, and they were like, "Oh my gosh, I love that movie. It's so crazy." And I was like, "Huh, I guess." And I. I don't know. I, I can't really see why people uh, outside of that one sketch. Although, to be fair, I've watched a lot of anthologies and that is like up there in like one of the best in terms of just like you have no clue where it's going. And it does like the gore so well because yeah. you and I think it is to the um, Maddie, to your point that we already knew her and we're invested in her story, but we're also watching her become like, you know, almost just straight body horror it's yeah. an interesting thing to be like emotionally connected to her but also be like ew this is gross um which i think is really hard to do and that is the impressive thing in this but it's only you could watch those two skits and then peace out and then be done yeah i i agree and you know i totally i can understand why people say they really like it because the concept itself is really cool and like the the radio host guy, the DJ, like I thought that part was really cool. There's just a lot of really, really cool ideas in it. It just wasn't executed well enough to be like, this is a hidden gem. I love this movie. It's more like, wow, it had a lot of potential. And then it really bungled it at the end. Like that home invasion section, like who cares? Like that part, I was done. Uh, it, it's so weird. Cause um, yeah, that's the ready or not guys. And yeah. Um, I just don't see them in that at all. Um, apparently, they're also they also did a segment for um, VHS, which I think you just watched, right? I watched ninety four, the new one, and then I watched the second one because I people told me one of the sections in that was like the best of all of it, but that's all I've seen. And were they good? I'm actually curious. Ninety four was a lot of fun. I liked that one a lot, and then the one story from the second one was pretty incredible but the rest i'd say take it or leave it to you be honest to with watch you. the first two to watch the new one i have no nope. i have no information about the series okay. no that was the question i asked you because i had never seen any of them but everyone's like 94 is the best movie it's just it's just an anthology and nothing connects it's just people watching found footage they found and that's it yeah um the the ready or not guys did the first um mm. vhs they were part of it um yeah, those are ones that I keep meaning to check out at some point, but I just never have gotten around to it. Um, also, I think there's one in the first one that's supposed to be like really gross, and it's specifically my kind of gross that I don't like, um, <laughs> which is why there's no, why we're not doing, even though gross out, there's no nails or anything like that. <gasps> um, although, actually, great transition. Speaking of nails, uh, let's talk about Hellraiser and Pinhead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> uh, I think we all seem to like this one. Um, I'll throw it to you, Alina, because you said it was horny. <laughs> so we fucks. I didn't know that. Okay, I didn't know anything about Hellraiser, honestly. I like knew that like Pinhead was like a thing that existed, but I didn't know like what he did. I just knew that he had like gross things in his face, and I was like, okay, we're watching Hellraiser. I'm afraid. Um, and like, 
it like opens and like they this like couple moves into like a new house and then like this girl like the stepmom or whatever starts like imagining this like dude and like having sex with him and I was like damn this is fucking horny um and I was just like so into their like whole relationship like she starts killing people so like he can get like his flesh back and I was like this is like low-key romantic and then it gets like fucking crazy I didn't understand like all the stuff with the puzzle box and like granted I had to pause this and then we recorded a podcast and I came back to it so I really wish I had gotten to watch it all in like one go but it was just like not in the cards this weekend but it's like I was a bit confused by the puzzle box thing wait I'm obsessed with the way you explain Hellraiser is (laughs) this is a romance between two people and also there's some other girl and also there's a puzzle box. <laughs> I, I also like that you said that they're cheating on each other and having sex and then she has to kill people and then it gets crazy. <laughs> um, like yeah, that's all normal up until that part. So good. Uh, yeah, actually what's funny <laughs> is I watched this last Halloween and I did the same thing as you, Alina. Had no clue about it, just knew Pinhead existed. And... Uh, this starts and I was like, oh, this feels very like Indiana Jones, like introducing, you know, oh, he's in, I think it's Morocco or something like that. And uh, uh, gets this puzzle box and then he opens it. And all of a sudden he's just like slabs of meat (laughs) spinning around in this room. And I was like, oh, we're going real crazy real quick. (laughs) Um, I, I think the book itself is even hornier to be honest with you. You know, so I think, Alina, if you liked that part of the story, I would recommend the novel just to see what else is going on with this romance. Yeah, because yeah, um, one thing I do know in the novel is Christy is actually the friend of, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Cotton. Uh, oh, Larry Cotton, Frank? I think. Yeah, I think it's, no, Larry Cotton. So Christy is not, oh, that's not her Larry. father in the book. She's like in love with um, uh, the character's name is Corey in the book. Oh, interesting. I mean, yeah, I uh, loved Hellraiser. This was, I watched it earlier this year for the first time, just because, you know, like Audition, that was another kind of like pinhead. You look terrifying. I'm not. I could have submit myself to that when I was little. And I was like, you know what? I just got to do it. And it really lived up to the hype. I think there was a lot to it. Like the puzzle box, I feel like the way that it was introduced in the movie, you're like, I don't really know what's going on with that. Like you said, Alina, but the rest of it, I think it was spot on. The Cenobites, they looked great. I would hang out with them, maybe. We'll see. It depends on what the party is. (laughs) Yeah, I also adored this film. I had no idea what I was walking into. First time I've ever seen anything Hellraiser. And like, this is so me. Uh, The aesthetic is so fucking strong. Not just with like the crazy creatures that look incredible. And I love their voices and everything. But then all the special effects, like obviously are aged. But like the use of color here is like so strong. Um, And like you said, Alina, there's almost something seductive about it. In some ways, in that sense, it kind of reminded me of the old Candyman. Like I don't necessarily understand all the lore. I don't understand necessarily what is happening. But there's like this deeper tension and romance almost brewing that is pretty undeniable I really mm-hmm. love this one like as someone who doesn't necessarily love horror 
doesn't necessarily love old horror this was like incredible i thought this was like yeah this could be one of my favorite horror movies of all time with a few more rewatches still don't know what's happening like could not tell you anything that really happened plot wise for the second half but like i enjoyed it (laughs) okay i can so the puzzle box is uh like basically a key to the cinebites and um the cinebites are people who like loved pleasure they're they're supposed to be like um just completely into like you know uh every hedonistic thing and eventually they became sadomasochists and didn't realize that like they'd gone so far that they now um just believed that pure pain was the same as pleasure they've forgotten what that difference was Mm-hmm. And so Frank Cotton has tried everything in the world. And so he's like, oh, I've heard of this like pleasure area. I want to go there. And so when he's taken, you know, he has not spent millennia um, in the pleasure before. So they just take him and basically torture him for all eternity. Um, and so that's what that basically is. And then he escapes. And um, but like when Christy like opens the box and summons them, they're like, no, we don't really care. Uh, we use you as like a sexual plaything, basically, until you're, you know, ripped apart and completely uh, shown. Uh, there is a sequel to this, and it is a direct sequel. I think almost all the main characters are in it, uh, other than, I think, Larry. But, like, Frank and Julia and Christy are all in it. And it explains this a little bit more. And it isn't as good, but it is fun. And uh, Julia gets to uh, be insane some more, so... You know, that's always great. And does she uh, look just as incredible as she does in the first one? Because her look was like (laughs) 80s perfection. Like her makeup, her earrings, her outfits. I love every single part of Julia. uh, I was obsessed. (laughs) Oh, I'm obsessed with Julia as well. Um, But actually, um, mild spoiler, she takes on the Frank role. And so she sits around in a skin suit for Uh, most of the movie. (laughs) Right, Julia's fashion. She's like still trying to be sexy while just a skin creature a skinless like (laughs) bag of meat so that's a that's a thing but um yeah no it's it's definitely different but it's pretty fun but yeah I don't like this kind of like you know I'm not a big fan of saw or anything like that but there's something about you know to your point Carson about the uh the graphics of it the the visual effects of everything um being a little aged that I think allows me to enjoy this more, um, which is actually my fear with the upcoming one. Is like I feel like they're they're retelling the story, but they're trying to do it darker, and I am not ready for like, you know, what fucking the neck girl and all those creatures are gonna look like with today's like um, visual effects. I think it's just gonna be almost a little too much which is why i'm not surprised it's going just straight to hulu versus um trying to do a theatrical mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know how audiences would be prepared for that um when i was going through the letterbox reviews of hellraiser people kept saying like oh this is why we should be kink shaming and i'm like no what? this is why we should we should let them because <laughs> this is amazing <laughs> this is exactly just- what i want to happen <laughs> the one-liners too from this movie are perfect like jesus wept can you imagine like that's like your statement of life like i loved that this i thought this movie was pretty pretty perfect i also love that uh <laughs> this guy puts on the skin suit of his uh brother 
to fuck his niece and it's like not tre- <laughs> it's only mildly treated as the most insane thing that's ever happened yeah that's very secondary <laughs> it's like oh sure but like look julia's dying it's like wait 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 go back to the fact that he was like perfectly fine with a little incest <laughs> That was, I guess, the sights to show you. Who who knows what the Cenobites are up to once you go inside that puzzle box. (laughs) I also love that, like, Julia takes all of, like, two seconds to go, oh, you know what? This bag of meat? Yes, I will date him. (laughs) She has a perfectly nice husband, and she's like, no, no. (laughs) Yeah, there's Julia probably could have benefited from some therapy or something before all this went down, because, yeah, why did she hate her husband so much he was fine he was fine I know I I love when he's like watching boxing and he's like I thought you didn't like this and she's like I've seen worse and I'm like yeah you have like <laughs> a dead body upstairs and like killed three people at this point <laughs> <laughs> oh. but um yeah no I think this one's really fun and I, I think that people um discount it just because of pinhead and a lot of the marketing because pinhead is not a major character in this he's in it maybe i'd be interested to know like the you know that guy who does like screen time or whatever i'd love to know like how much pinhead is actually in this because i feel like he's only in it for like maybe 10 minutes and i mean the that's rest the is... way of these old horror films isn't it like friday the 13th jason didn't show up in the hockey mask until what like film three like the dolls barely yeah. in saw like the iconic characters are never really in it that much that's true but they're not even the villains and they're not even like i guess you would say christy is the protagonist but for the first two acts it's julia in a very weird way um she's completely running the story um yeah in terms of narrative this like if you're following like the whole three act structure this film is insane but it also doesn't bother me because i think it's a very specific kind of film and I, I really did enjoy how absolutely shitty Julia was too, just because watching a lot of these horror films, like we love a final girl, we love, you know, female empowerment, but it's also really fun to see just like an absolute like asshole of a female character too. Like you want to see women be the villain as well. So Julia, I just, I thought she was great. I thought it was a really fun, like subversive movie that just really like you said, he didn't know who the protagonist was. Like, were you supposed to be cheering for Julia? Probably not. But the Cenobites were fun. But Larry was boring, so he didn't want to cheer for him. So I thought it was just, it was a really interesting structure as far as, like, all the character arcs. But I thought it was really good. Yeah. No, it's a lot of fun. Cool. So with that, let's end this off by going into our recommendations for the week. Alina, what is your recommendation for this week going to be? <laughs> Um, mine is going to be Wildhood. I watched that this week. Um, I missed it at TIFF, but it I watched it at the Vancouver International Film Festival. I thought like today as we're recording, it's Canadian Thanksgiving. Um, I don't like celebrating the genocide of Indigenous people, so I'm going to recommend a movie by an Indigenous person today. Um, it's by Breton Hannum, and it's based off their like a short film and this director is like non-binary and two-spirit and like wildhood is about this like young uh Mi'kmaq boy who which is like um a tribe on like the east coast of Canada so I don't I'm not like super familiar with them because like I'm from Ontario but like it was really cool seeing like a, a different like type of 
indigenous story because I feel like a lot of the ones that like I see in Canada and are like very Ontario based like Mohawk and whatever so it's nice having like a new one um so it's about this like boy who grows up with like a white father and he's like very disconnected from like his indigenous identity um he like believes his mother is dead his like father's abusive and then like one day he finds out that his mother's actually alive and he like sets off with his like younger half brother to find his mother and along the way he like meets this other person who is like two-spirit and Mi'kmaq and it becomes like this really like powerful story of like reconnecting with the identity you never got the chance to have and it's like also a really like sweet LGBT story um I thought it was really sweet I, I liked it a lot I feel like it wasn't like fully there for it to be like a great movie but it has like a lot of potential and I'm very excited to see like where this director goes next because it, it's it's solid perfect Paul what's your recommendation for this week um so I'm going to go with, I've been doing the Hooptober um, and I'm going to go with Hell House LLC, which was the one that I did for my uh, haunted house uh, one. And it's a found footage that's about these uh, like mid twenties kids trying to um, put on a, you know, haunted mansion or haunted house situation and use this old hotel and things go wrong. Um, I don't usually like found footage because I always just feel like, okay, I know what, you know, I know how this will probably end. So I don't really try to get connected to the characters. So that never really like is a thing for me. But I like how there, this left a lot of mystery as to who survived, who didn't. And also um, some of the jump scares in this literally had me like, flying out of my seat um which is not usual for me unless it's a loud sound uh but there were a couple in this that were like really great so if you're like into kind of just like you know the turn your brain off and get scared movies this one was like a really good choice so hell house llc perfect and maddie what's your recommendation for this week I will recommend another Hooptober pick like Paul. Last night, I watched the 1971 Let's Scare Jessica to Death, which was one of my folk horror picks. Um, it's about a woman who just had like a six-month stint in a psychiatric hospital. She had a nervous breakdown, and then her and her husband and a friend go move into this house out in the country just to, I think, kind of chill her out, get back going. There's like a hippie random lady that's living in this house and they decide to just say like hey do you want to live with us random hippie lady she may or may not be a vampire but I think the whole point of the story which I really found interesting is a very a really kind of nuanced look at mental health um, gaslighting anxiety feeling nervous just it has the perfect amount of like dread and you really really cared for Jessica I was obsessed it was one of those movies where I was watching it and I bought it on Amazon like halfway through the movie just because I loved it so much already so 1971 let's scare Jessica to death love that so my recommendation this week I don't remember the full context but me and Alina were talking about James Corden 
And I'm quite a big James <laughs> Corden stan, um, which I've said on the podcast and probably, you know, not great for my career, but I do like James Corden quite a bit. And Alina brought up this film called Lesbian Vampire Killers, which James Corden is in. It's from 2009. And I don't know why. Really, this is a sign of my mental illness. I was like, sure, I'm going to watch it right now. So I watched Lesbian Vampire Killers. <laughs> and it's like not great. But you know what? It might have the best James Corden scene ever. Because it introduces James Corden in a full clown costume. Like it pans like slowly revealing James Corden as a clown. And I was just like, yeah, this movie's kind of amazing, isn't it? So like it gets a lot of shit and it's not good. Don't get me wrong. But like, you know what? I can't really recommend anything else I've seen recently because it's not out or I've already recommended it or talked about it. So you know what? Lesbian Vampire Killers, if you want some James Corden this October, which who doesn't want James <laughs> Corden this October? Um, Lesbian Vampire Killers, I wouldn't, I would recommend. I think it was quite fun. I've um, I'm loving that I just pulled it up on Letterboxd and there's like four half star reviews. <laughs> the way oh, this no. happened, Carson, is I tweeted, what if I watched every single Adam Sandler movie in order? And you said, yeah. I should do this with James Corden. So I went onto the James Corden Letterboxd page and picked the most insane thing and tweeted it to you. And then you watched it. Immediately. <laughs> it wasn't Cats. Cats was not the most insane one. Yeah. Carson loves Cats. <laughs> that you can find <laughs> i do love cats. carson has seen cats many many times <laughs> okay paul also loves it i don't know why paul's oh no like i know so above he's like Lola i'm not carson saying i'm above it. well i just don't feel like you like it ironically <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into it you're like you know what true <laughs> it's, no it's just it's misunderstood i don't it's misunderstood the much like james Corden. <laughs> agreed Agreed. When, as a society, we can't laugh when James Corden's in a like a mouse costume humping a car. Society's gone wrong, you know. So that's my take. Oh. At least to end this thing <laughs> off. Uh, where can we find everyone on social media, Paul? At Price Like Tag on Twitter and Letterboxd. Alina. I am at Alina Folds on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Maddie. I am Corndog Maddie, all one word on Letterboxd. And then you can find my zine on Etsy. It's etsy.com slash shop slash Kaiju Maddie. And that's K-A-I-J-U-M-A-D-D-Y. And you can look at the description. We'll have a link towards that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews, Letterboxd Carson Tamar. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week to discuss all things cinema. October is getting kind of crazy, by the way, scheduling wise. So we have some like weird scheduling and some bonus episodes, but there will be an episode, I think actually two episodes next week. So we'll see you then. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>